You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt at the Oracle of the Action Network in Rotoviz. Welcome to the August 3rd, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? I'm doing great, Matt. Uh, yeah, it's been a been a couple weeks. You had a little vacation there. Sounded uh, sounded good. Yes, I did have a vacation. Uh, the The wife dragged me to Paris. It was absolutely oh, horrible. Um, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was good. She was there for uh, an academic conference, so I got to tag along. So it was uh, it was nice. Uh, but I, I did miss doing the, the podcast and, uh, yeah. because of, uh, just kind of weird flying schedule, I didn't have the opportunity to place any, uh, NASCAR bets this last Sunday. So, uh, I felt, uh, very cruelly deprived, but, uh, well, I, I, I think, through. I think this past Sunday was a good Sunday to avoid the bets. It, <laughs> it was, was a weird, weird weekend, but, uh, I wish my wife was able to drag me to like Paris. I get to go to like Reno. Oh, that's, that's still pretty good too. Um, yeah. Yeah, so take I'll Reno, take it. Reno's not bad, but let's let's talk about last weekend. So uh, Pocono, Kyle Busch uh, overcame a 28th place starting position to win his uh, sixth race of the year. He was one of 13 drivers to start at the uh, the rear of the field after failing post qualifying inspection. Uh, you had a rough DFS day, um, to say the least. I think it was maybe the worst DFS day you've ever had. What lessons are you taking away from the second Pocono race? Oh, I'm not taking any money away, that's for sure. <laughs> no, it was my second worst DFS day by ROI. Um, thankfully, it was probably not even in my top five in terms of raw dollars because I don't play the volume I used to play. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was tough. And the reason it was tough is because the only 12 drivers I had in my construction were 12 of the 13 drivers starting in the rear. The only one I didn't have was Kyle Busch, uh, so you know it, it didn't work out very well. It was a calculated risk. I thought Harvick had the better car uh, than Kyle Busch, and he did. In my, you know, Harvick dominated most of the race, but Harvick was the one who encountered problems, which allowed Kyle Busch to uh, to sail to victory. If you know, if Harvick didn't have that collision on pit road with Almirola, he would have started behind Busch on that final uh, segment there. But I think he had the car to catch Kyle Busch and uh, pass him, and would have relegated Busch to. You know, you know some of the, the the lineups further down that may still have cash but not done uh, as well and, and Harvick would have been in all the top lineups but then after that all of those drivers in the rear basically got decimated I mean Kyle Larson had a late problem Eric Almirola had a late problem Joey Logano had early problems I mean it was one after the other after the other just kept taking hit after hit after hit and uh, so <laughs> it was one of those races that was just total carnage and uh, that happens sometimes and you know Pocono, it has the opportunity. So maybe I went, I maybe, you know, the lesson is I went too heavy on the, the chalky drivers, but I mean, you'd figure with 13 of them or, or even I played 12 of them, you'd figure half of them would survive and do well, but, uh, that was not the case. So, um, what lessons to take away? I'm not really sure. Um, don't fade Kyle Bush might be the lesson. <laughs> he's he's really good uh, and uh, always very determined. But I, I feel like I can never get Kyle Bush right. Like the weeks I play him for whatever reason, he's like, oh, the car is junk. And, and the weeks I don't play him, he takes uh, you know a second or a third or fourth place car and wins. Like same thing with Chicagoland. Luckily, I had enough Kyle Bush there at Chicagoland to, to win the GPP. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, one of those things where, you know, I guess I lost big, but uh, usually I go for the win big, uh, lose small strategy, and I got the, the lose big strategy. But the good thing is the big wins still even offset a, a big loss if you use smart bankroll management. Okay, so this weekend NASCAR is at Watkins Glen. Is a 2.454 mile road course situated near the Finger Lakes of New York. Uh, it is the second of three road course races this year. Talk a little bit about the racing that we normally see at Watkins Glen. Yeah, I love uh, love racing at Watkins Glen because I think it's it produces a better race than the Sonoma uh, race that we've all seen earlier this year and that we've been accustomed to in the past, you know, the two road course races. We now have a third this year at the Charlotte Roval, but uh, relative to Sonoma, I think Watkins Glen is a much better race, uh, a lot more passing opportunities, uh, higher speed uh, because there's some long straightaways. And so uh, some very good passing zones. And we saw one of the best finishes of any NASCAR race ever. Uh, a few years ago, Kyle Busch was leading going into the final lap. Keselowski got underneath them in the S's and uh, they made contact. Kyle spun out. And Keselowski was then trailed by Marcus Ambrose. They beat and banged their whole way, like the whole last uh, two-thirds of the lap. They were beaten and banging. There was oil dropped on the track by Bobby Labonte, so the whole track was covered in oil the whole way around. And uh, they were sliding around, beating and banging, and uh, Ambrose barely nipped Keselowski. You know, I think he he passed him or held him off in that final turn and uh, pulled in front of him on the final straightaway there. It was one of the best races ever, and... Uh, then you also we've seen some big wrecks. Um, even I think it was a year later I was at the race uh, Ambrose won, but uh, there was a huge wreck on the last lap. David Reagan went flipping across, or maybe it was David Rudiman went flipping across the infield. I think Reagan was also involved in that crash. Um, so yeah, just uh, definitely a, a race that could be action packed and uh, you can pass, but there is a lot of uh, track type and track history at Watkins Glen as well, as I'm sure we'll talk about. You know, you do see some of the same names popping up time and time again. Uh, and so we'll definitely talk about that. But it is definitely a course where drivers can attack. Uh, you know, we, for example, we always like to talk about road course ringers, A.J. Allmendinger, of course, in the past. Guys like Marcus Ambrose, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, Robbie Gore. Um, you know, all of these drivers have, have had success at Watkins Glen. So it definitely is a place where the driver can make a difference, even though it is uh, a lot of aero involved with the high speed corners as well. Okay. So uh, very important for this weekend. Uh, NASCAR has a short week post qualifying inspection process. So last weekend in Pocono inspection was held immediately after qualifying 13 cars failed and uh, thus started at the back of the line uh, Pocono uh, like Pocono, Watkins Glen is another impound race. So inspection will be held after qualifying, but this time NASCAR is holding off until Sunday morning to do the inspections. Um, it seems as if this would impact uh, potentially DFS strategy, uh, betting strategy, uh, and all sorts of schedules, including the content. Uh, un, uh, just, just talk to us about all of this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a mess. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, with the last weekend at Pocono, of course, like you said, we saw 13 cars go to the rear of the field because they failed post-qualifying inspection. Um, this weekend, of course, Watkins Glen, they've moved post-qualifying inspection. It was originally supposed to be right after qualifying, but I think after the debacle of last weekend, they wanted to move it to 8 a.m., um, and, uh, you know, that way they're not doing inspection until 11 PM or something like that. Move it to 8 AM. Uh, what will happen is all 40, whatever, 38 something cars will go through inspection 
And uh, once each car is through after the first time, we'll know the starting lineup. So we should know the starting lineup, I would say, approximately between 9.30 and 10.30 a.m. Eastern time. I think they'll probably have a maybe some kind of, I wouldn't say expedited, but a faster inspection process because I think teams will be more prepared and ready to go uh, to get through the line. I think um, you know NASCAR really want, doesn't want to make it take four and a half hours like it did last weekend. But even then, if it took four and a half hours, we still knew the starting lineup maybe two and a half, three hours after uh, you know, post-qualifying or after post-qualifying inspection started. So um, I think by 10.30 a.m. Eastern time, we should know the starting lineup. Uh, but that doesn't give a ton of time to set lineups because, you know, lock is at 3 p.m. Eastern time um, or actually I should say 2.30 uh, Eastern time on DraftKings. So that could give us around four hours at most to set our lineups. So what I'm going to do is once we know the starting lineup officially, um, I'm going to try to get everything updated as quickly as I can and then immediately jump into Road of His Live and I'll just do it. Uh, from my Twitch page, it'll be a free show this week uh, just because of the crazy circumstances. I don't want to like record it and then put it behind the paywall and then get, you know, have it get uploaded and all that because then you won't even have really much time to to watch the show at all. So I'm uh, going to do it as soon as I get everything updated on roadofhis.com. Once we know the starting lineup, uh, you know, the apps and the, the, the projections in the article, uh, I'll do I'll immediately jump into Road of His Live over on my Twitch page, which is twitch.tv slash Tecate, like the beer. Um, and uh, we'll do Road of His Live. We'll take your questions and try to break down as many drivers and situations as we can. Um, hopefully, there won't be too many failures, but you never know, obviously. Um, as far as content, the rest of the weekend, after uh, final practice on Saturday, right, because all the practice is on Saturday, um, I'm going to have a preliminary model up for finishing position. Um, obviously, dominator points won't be able to be factored in because starting position very much does affect dominator points. But for finishing position, uh, when we'll talk about the factors, starting position doesn't come into play in the model for finishing position. And that's because, you know, many things can happen with strategy and cautions and things like that at road course racing. So I'll be able to have at least have a finishing position model up after final practice on Saturday uh, and some preliminary thoughts, preliminary thoughts on some drivers based off of where they qualify uh, because if they don't fail inspection and not too many drivers fail inspection, then it'll be you know, most of the content will be basically staying the same as long as, uh, you know, maybe one or two drivers fail inspection. Uh, then, you know, obviously those drivers might become good plays, but the, all the rest of the drivers are only impacted by maybe two spots at most. So they still should remain pretty good plays. So I will have some plays up, uh, pending, you know, inspection. And then I'm always subject to change those plays based off of how inspection goes. Okay. Uh, we obviously have more to get to. Before that, I want to remind everyone that there's a special discount uh, for the NASCAR Pass through our NASCAR Podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR Podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the discount details are. Uh, Nick told them to me while I was on vacation, and I just totally forgot and can't find the email. Nick, what is the special discount right now for NASCAR people? Yeah, I think it's uh, 48 or $9, maybe $50. It's in that 48 to $50 window. I can't actually remember the exact detail off the top of my head either, but it's 48 to $50 range for the rest of the season. Um, so that's, you know, such a good deal. We've got uh, 20 races complete, which means we've got 16 races to go. So you're looking at around $3 per race if you were to sign up this weekend uh, using the Rotoviz podcast discount, rotoviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. Okay. 
uh, as mentioned earlier, there were 13 inspection failures at Pocono. Uh, there weren't any at Sonoma, which was the first road, ca- uh, road course race of the year. Um, do you expect inspection at Watkins Glen to be more like Sonoma or more like what we saw last week at Pocono? You know, I think most people are expecting it to be like Sonoma, uh, where you know they, the teams didn't really push the envelope because aero didn't matter quite as much. Um, but uh, I should say we have 21 races complete, so 15, so a little over three bucks for that for that uh, per race for that NASCAR discount. Still a great deal. But uh, yeah, so I think most people are expecting it to be more like Sonoma, where nobody failed inspection because aero didn't quite matter as much. Uh, whereas at a track like Pocono, you're going 200 and something miles an hour into turn one, uh, aero definitely matters. At Watkins Glen, aero does matter. Sonoma and Watkins Glen are not the same course. Sonoma's much slower, much more technical. Uh, mechanical grip matters a lot more. It still matters at Watkins Glen, obviously, but uh, you're looking through grip and stability through the corners, uh, whereas at Watkins Glen, you still want some some aero advantage. Getting uphill through those S's and down the back straightaway, you are pulling around two, almost 200 miles an hour going into the inner loop. Then you're hard on the brakes and you know got a lot of fast corners at Watkins Glen. So I do think teams will look for an arrow advantage if they can get it. Uh, I think they will be cognizant of what happened last weekend, but uh, I think you might see a couple teams overstep the line. So I think it'll be more towards Sonoma, but I don't think we'll see zero uh, inspection failures. I really do believe we'll see a couple, which could change you know, the outcome of the slate. Uh, if you look at what happened last weekend at Pocono, the vast majority of the inspection failures were drivers starting further forward in the field. Basically, all of the, the lower, medium, and back marker cars passed inspection. Uh, so I think you'll see that again. I think all the lower, medium, and back marker cars will pass inspection. What I think you'll see is maybe a couple teams towards the front pushing the envelope uh, and get kicked to the rear. And I don't think it's a huge penalty at Watkins Glen. I mean, it's certainly a penalty. Track position is important. I don't think it's a huge penalty just because of all the different strategies that come into play. You can pit before the end of the stage and get track position. If a caution comes out, you can do the opposite of the leaders and eventually get track position. So um, I do think you'll see a couple teams pushing the envelope, but uh, you know, I definitely don't think we're going to see anywhere near six, eight, 10, 13 failures. I think we'll see maybe something more like we saw at Chicagoland, which was another impound race. I think we had four or five drivers go to the rear of the field for that race. Um, so I'd say between Sonoma and Chicagoland, two, three drivers probably end up failing, but that's just a ballpark guess, but it really could change the slight dynamics. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about DFS strategy. Only 90 laps are scheduled for Sunday's race. So that impacts the total number of dominator points available. Uh, how does that impact uh, impact roster construction at Watkins Glen? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you think about it, uh, let's say every lap were to go green. It's not possible because we have the stages, but uh, that's 45 points for fastest laps and only uh, 22 and a half points for, for laps led that are available. So, um, you know, that means that means you're sitting here looking at like 60 some points maximum for, for dominator points. And obviously there's going to be multiple dominators. Uh, so, uh, this is really a race where it sets up either zero dominators or one dominator. You're really not choosing any more than that uh, for your for your roster construction. After that, you're basically looking at the combination of finishing position and place differential, which is why uh, post-qualifying inspection will be really important because if somebody gets kicked to the rear of the field, they're I wouldn't say they're not a start given what we know about the Glen and, and things can get you know shook up and all that, but they definitely become a really chalky play at a track where finishing position and place differential matters much more than you know fastest laps and laps led. So 
uh, that's why another reason why impound uh, race this weekend will be so important if some of these drivers fail inspection. So really looking at the combination of finishing position and place differential. Uh, we're also kind of, um, you know, basically saying this is a one dominator max uh, kind of kind of race. And you definitely could get away with zero dominators uh, in some lineups. That's that's a possibility, depending on if that dominator, you know, the, the top dominator ends up having a poor finish. So um, certainly some zero dominator lineups are possible. Okay. How many DraftKings points do the top dominators normally have at Watkins Glen? Yeah, this is a fun little stat here. Uh, there have been since 2011, but there have been two drivers that have topped 60 uh, or sorry, 20 dominator points. So that's, you know, taking your laps led dividing by four, taking your fastest laps and dividing by two and adding them up. Uh, that's Marcus Ambrose and Kyle Busch both accrued 20.25 dominator points. Uh, Ambrose did it in 2011, Kyle Busch in 2012. Um, and uh, yeah, so only two drivers of top 20. The next driver on the list is Kyle Busch again at 16.75. Then Kyle Busch next on the list at 16.25. So you get an idea that we get some repeat dominators there as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, our, our top dominators um, are, are kind of kind of interesting because you see a lot of repeat names as well. You got Ambrose, Kyle Busch, Kyle Busch, Kyle Busch, Truex, Keselowski, Keselowski, Kyle Busch, Ambrose are your, your top nine. And then Harvick rounds out the top ten there. So you got Kyle Busch listed a ton of times, Ambrose twice. Uh, if you go down to drivers that have scored ten or more DraftKings points, you add in A.J. Allmendinger, Carl Edwards, and another Marcus Ambrose. And that's ten or more dominator points. Uh, that also ended up finishing the race. So removing drivers that didn't finish the race, but, uh, then you look at how does that uh, translate to, to DraftKings points? Because we just talked about dominator points. No driver, uh, that has dominated the race has pulled off more than 65 and a half DraftKings points. So, um, if we're considering 10 plus dominator points as a dominator, which really 10 points isn't all that much. Uh, the most is 65 and a half DraftKings points, and that's by Brad Keselowski. The year he started 12th and finished third. He led uh, 28 laps, had 17 fastest laps for 15 and a half Dominator points. Uh, sorry, my phone was ringing there. And uh, um, he had uh, 65 and a half DraftKings points. And uh, you know, of the of the top Dominators, we only have one, two, three, four instances of drivers topping 60 DraftKings points out of the top 13 Dominators who, like I said, those are the ones who have had 10 plus Dominator points. So uh, it, it's tough. I mean, they don't score your, your 80, 100, 120, 150, 200 points like you could see it possibly at you know, a Bristol or something like that with 500 laps. You're talking a cap of like 65 points for these dominators because most of them aren't coming from the rear of the field. I mean, of the like I said, of the top dominators, Brad Keselowski started the furthest back in 12th and he finished third. Everybody else uh, that was a top dominator all started in the top five except Almendinger who started sixth and he got 11 and a half DraftKings points. Okay, so looking at driver pricing, uh, Kevin Harvick is at the top of the list at 12,100 with no dominator scoring above 65.5 DraftKings points. Uh, doesn't that make Harvick essentially a lock not to hit 5x value? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think uh, – I don't – I mean, unless he – scores more dominator points than anybody. Let's say he starts fifth, scores more dominator points than anybody and wins the race. Then that's the only way he'll top, you know, 65 DraftKings points, uh, something like that. So, I mean, 
he's he's almost uh you know like i said he's almost a sure lock to score less than 5x value and i think one thing i'm going to do this weekend um which i think will be will be fun to do uh might take a little bit of time and given the time constraints i'm not sure if i'll be able to do it but if i have time uh and i'll try to put it to the model together early uh because then all you have to do is update the starting position but uh, what is the probability that a driver hits 5x value? And I think you'll see it'll probably be really low for somebody like Kevin Harvick. And we usually like to say 5x is kind of the minimum uh, for for these drivers to be in the winning GPP lineup. Um, and obviously, with the Dominators, you want it to be much more than 5x. I think you can definitely lower that range for the Dominators this weekend. I don't think you need to hit 6x, 7x value necessarily, but it would be a lot easier, let's say, if Truex does what Harvick does, but he is, you know, much cheaper price than Kevin Harvick. Uh, that's going to be just that price difference alone. That $600 price difference means Truex is much more likely to hit 5x than Harvick. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 looking tough for Kevin Harvick this weekend. To, I don't understand why DraftKings stretched out that top tier of drivers when there are fewer, much 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 fewer total points available. It doesn't really make sense to me. Um, but it does make it interesting this weekend in terms of uh, how you're going to you know, approach roster construction. Okay, looking at pricing a little bit more, uh, we have Kyle Busch at 11800 and Truex at 11500 So uh, with those big three drivers, what is your preferred strategy given what we know about Watkins Glen scoring? Yeah, I mean, I think you're playing a maximum of one of these drivers, uh, probably. Uh, maybe if you're like mass multi-entering, you can probably sprinkle in a uh, two of these guys lineup. And then the only other way would be if one of these drivers gets kicked to the rear of the field, failing inspection, then definitely a two driver, uh, two of these three approach is possible. But if you're, as far as considering, uh, if they all pass inspection and they're all starting relatively towards the front of the field, yeah, I think you're max going with one of these guys. Um, like I said, there might be a chance where, Somebody like Harvick starts sixth and wins the race, and somebody like Kyle Busch or Truex starts second or whatever and dominates the early portions of the race. Uh, then if you're mass multi-entering, I think you can definitely play 5-10% of the, your lineups with two of these guys. But that's a really specific situation anyway. Um, I think more than likely you're probably just playing one of these drivers, and definitely it's possible to play some zero of, of these drivers' lineups. I think it'll be tough because we've seen Kyle Busch repeat the dominator list so many times. We've seen Truex and Harvick on the dominator list here. But we have seen guys like Brad Keselowski um, you know, be on that dominator list as well. And uh, I think you could you could also maybe have another one of these drivers, your, your, your Kurt Busch's, Clint Boyer's uh, type situation here, even an Almondinger. Uh, who ends up dominating a portion of this race. So um, it's definitely not a lock that you have to play one of these three drivers as well. But my my approach generally would be uh, playing one of these drivers at most and, and certainly some zero and, and maybe a sprinkle of two, unless one of them fails inspection, then two is definitely possible. Okay, so given how few dominator points there are, uh, place differential and finishing position will collectively make up most of the scoring uh, at Watkins Glen. So what stats are you using to gauge driver finishing position? So this is interesting because it, at Watkins Glen, we rarely get uh, 10 lap averages. Um, and so you're basically looking at single lap speed. So if you take the average single lap speed from these drivers, that's kind of uh, the stat we're looking at. Uh, one thing that is interesting that NBC Sports will have uh, that they've been showing is the average practice speed over the whole practice session. So I think that's going to be an important factor as well. Unfortunately, that's not data that NASCAR releases, so I can't put that into the model. But I do think that's something that we'll have to 
kind of subjectively use uh, to kind of enhance the what what will be the road of his model. But final practice or the average practice speed of, of the single lap times uh, is data we do have. That data is very important. It shows up in all the top 25 uh, models that I ran this weekend. Year-to-date finishing position. Um, so instead of driver rating, finishing position. So how well drivers finish. And I think that's especially important in a track like Watkins Glen where finishing uh, can be tough. It can be tough. We'll talk about the incident rate, but yeah, it can be tough. And then uh, track type dominance and track type passing. So what you do with the road courses with um, dominating and passing very much matters. And, and that's passing obviously makes a lot of sense. It's tough to pass at road courses, but if you can do it. That's definitely going to launch you up in your in your finishing position. Finally, there is a little bit of track history. Um, it much more affects Sonoma than it does Watkins Glen. Uh, Sonoma track history is really heavily baked in. At Watkins Glen, we use more of the track type. If you're good at Sonoma and the Glen, that helps. Um, but there is a little bit of Watkins Glen track history itself baked in as well, and that's just track driver rating. Okay, what drivers currently fit the key stats for your model, especially relative to their salaries? Yeah, I mean... Almondinger does a lot better at Watkins Glen, so he's 8,300. Uh, his driver rating this year obviously doesn't really stand out, so he could be an interesting fade. Uh, he does tend to get higher ownership percentage at road courses. But uh, a couple drivers I'm really eyeing, Kurt Busch, 9,300. Um, you know, I think as far as, uh, as road course performance, he's got the fourth best driver rating over the last eight road course races, uh, and he's priced down there nowhere near the top. I mean, he's he's more expensive than he usually is, but you know, he's still a, a $2,800 discount to Kevin Harvick. Uh, you know, he's priced down there as the seventh highest priced driver when he's got the fourth best driver rating at the road courses over the last eight. Uh, so I think Kurt Busch is, is definitely a value. Um, somebody I think is pretty interesting is Daniel Suarez. And he really came on at Pocono this past weekend. He had a, a fantastic race. He finished second, almost, you know, had a chance to win there in the late goings with those late restarts uh, on the front row with his teammate, Kyle Busch. Suarez is priced down at $7,500, but his road course driver rating is 87.0 over his career. Where that puts him in relation to some other drivers, uh, puts him basically neck and neck with Almendinger over his last eight races, basically neck and neck with Jimmy Johnson. So Almendinger 88.4, Jimmy Johnson 87.4, Daniel Suarez 87.0, and ahead of drivers like Matt Kenseth and Clint Boyer and Kyle Larson. So Daniel Suarez has a very good uh, road course driver rating. I think he'll be pretty popular this weekend, especially if he doesn't maybe get the best starting position. Uh, but Daniel Suarez is definitely a name to keep an eye on this weekend. Average finish of 11.3 in his road course racing career. Uh, you, you compare him versus maybe somebody like uh, Ryan Blaney, who's maybe a name to fade. Ryan Blaney, only a 71.9. Uh, driver rating over the course of his career and he's priced above Daniel Suarez 7,900 to 7,500 I think the edge goes to Daniel Suarez over Ryan Blaney um, you know in terms of if we just look at at quality and then one other driver I wanted to throw out there Chase Elliott pretty solid driver rating over his road course career 89.1 that squeezes him between AJ Allmendinger and Joey Logano both of whom have won at Watkins Glen before uh, so Chase Elliott obviously doesn't have a win at a road course race. He doesn't have any career wins in the Cup Series, but he has been stronger as of late, showed really well. Two weekends ago at New Hampshire, very well last weekend at Pocono as well, uh, contending for some you know, top five and, and leading laps at New Hampshire, uh, led laps at Pocono. So Chase Elliott priced at $8,100. He's got that year-to-date thing uh, a little lower, but recently he's been coming on stronger. Very good road course racing history. I mean, 
if we go down just the driver rating list, he's the eighth best in terms of driver rating at the last eight road course races. Uh, and he's priced down there below AJ Allmendinger outside of the top 12 drivers. So, um, you know, he's priced 13th. So I definitely like Chase Elliott this weekend as well. All right. How predictive is the model? Not very. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's better than Daytona and Talladega and Bristol, but uh, outside of that, it's 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 right. I guess it's a little better than um, actually it's a little worse than Sonoma. Uh, so it's a point four six four R squared. Uh, so less than fifty percent of the variance in finishing position can be explained by the factors in the model point four six four. So you know that that less than fifty percent number means uh, obviously the projections. Uh, are, are, are going to be okay. They're not going to be great. They're going to be okay. And that means we can definitely get away from the projections. The, uh, the error of the model is about seven finishing positions, and that's for one standard deviation. So two standard deviations, 95% of the time, approximately, we can expect a plus or minus 14 uh, for that model. So if we say a driver finishes 16th, plus or minus means he finished anywhere from second to 30, 90% of the time. And uh, it's not quite like that, or 95% of the time. It's not quite like that because it's not normally distributed. Um, so it's, it's definitely going to be a more of a, a skewed distribution, especially at Watkins Glen. So I think the SIM scores will be very important this weekend to get an idea of the range of outcomes of these drivers. Okay. And what is the incident rate at Watkins Glen? So since 2011, um, the incident rate holds steady, right? Around 24 and a half, 25%. So if you think 40 cars, 10 of them approximately should have incidents that are relatively you know, major or terminal even, uh, putting a multiple laps down at Watkins Glen. Uh, so 25%, that's not an insignificant number. You got uh, 10 cars that a back marker could pass just off of not having a major problem. So uh, pretty high incident rate as well. Okay, well, uh, that sounds horrible. So given the high incident rate and uh, a model that has low predictability, uh, what are the contrarian strategies that people should be looking to employ? Um, yeah, I mean, I think some contrarian strategies would be find a, find um, some contrarian plays in the middle and the back of the field. Uh, I think, you know, just finding drivers that will go underlooked relative to their to their major stats and, and not really relying on relying on starting position as much. Uh, you know, like see a driver starting 28th. Versus the driver starting 23rd, it's only five place differential. But you might think the 28th is so much safer. But if the 23rd place driver is going to draw 5x less ownership, uh, and then there's a high incident rate and a high variance, uh, I think that's something we're going to do. So we're going to play ownership percentages, of course. Uh, another strategy is you can leave salary on the table, if, especially if we get drivers like Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Truex that don't dominate. Uh, you know, you can definitely leave salary on the table. Finally, I think uh, a contrarian strategy I like is just totally avoiding um, some of these super back markers. I know they can come forward, but because you don't need the highest price drivers necessarily, you also don't necessarily need the lowest price drivers. So uh, you're maybe and it's going to be tough depending on how things shake out. But maybe you don't need somebody like a, a Colwitt or somebody like, um, you know, a Landon Castle this weekend. Uh, but it, it, it depends. I mean, obviously they can end up in the winning lineup as well, but uh, I think something more of like a balanced approach where you get a lot of drivers who can finish inside that top 10 uh, makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it's certainly possible for a driver like 
Ryan Newman, who's $6,800 to finish inside the top 10. I think it's possible for somebody like, uh, you know, Michael McDowell price $6,100 can finish in that top 15. I think a more balanced approach this weekend is a very nice contrarian strategy because a lot of people will still have exposure to Harvick, Bush and Truex. Uh, that said, you could have one of these drivers and still have a relatively balanced approach. Uh, and, and so I think that's going to be a nice strategy to use this weekend is avoiding your Spencer Gallagher's, your Landon Castles, your, your Colwitz, uh, you know, maybe Colwitz fine, something like that, but I wouldn't go crazy on them. I think sticking more towards a balanced approach makes a lot of sense. One thing I will say is some of these cheap drivers look pretty interesting this weekend. I mean, you've got Bubba Wallace, who is priced down at $5,000, um, not the best road course racer by any means, but, uh, you know, I, I think he probably will draw a lot of ownership percentage. That's somebody you could fade. So I think that's another contrarian strategy would be facing some of these guys who are normally priced in the 6K range that have been priced down, like your uh, like your Bubba Wallace there at 5K, uh, Ty Dillon at $5,400, and maybe fading them and going with some of the the smaller names down there in that price range. You got Ricky Stenhouse Jr. priced down at 5,700, for example. Maybe going with some of the smaller names. Your Ross Chastain at 4,900 if you are going to go down to that uh, really cheap range. Okay, any final words uh, regarding strategy and or uh, the schedule for this weekend? Um, yeah, I mean, I think just <laughs> the main thing will be to keep tuning in to Road of Is. I will have my article up after all the on-track activity is done on Saturday, so after practices and qualifying. I will have the base article with some picks pending inspection. Uh, I will have finishing position model. I'm going to try to have some kind of model, uh, like I said this weekend, uh, where we look at how likely is it for certain drivers to hit a certain value threshold? Um, so I'm definitely going to try to have those kinds of models this weekend. Um, but the time crunch is really going to come after inspection, especially if there's a failure or two that will change the slate dynamics. Uh, and then, like I said, as soon as everything's up on Rotoviz and updated, we'll dive right into Rotoviz Live on my Twitch page, twitch.tv slash Takate. Uh, free show this week just because of the crazy circumstances. We'll be back to the normal Rotoviz Live schedule uh, where it's behind the paywall next weekend. All right, that is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Kiffin on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt of the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. <laughs>